Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. And I'm Leonika. And this is Tabletop Journeys. Thank you once again, and here we are talking about something that's near and dear to our hearts. Absolutely. So after talking about Mandalorian episode 14 a couple of weeks ago, uh, we decided to do another side quest. Season two has just wrapped, and we really wanted to go ahead and talk about it. We loved talking about Mandalorian episode 14 when it came out, and man, after watching uh, the way that this season ended, I could not wait to go ahead and get some time to talk to you about this, Lewanika. I thought that in general, the season ended stronger than it started, which is really saying something because the season started off well. I think that it kind of hit its lower point uh, in the middle of the season, but then really, really ramped it up uh, towards the end of the season. What, what did you think about it? First of all, as we start to dig in, we should probably be fair and honest with our audience. If you have not gotten caught up on The Mandalorian, once again, we ask you to pause this episode Mm-hmm. Go watch The Mandalorian, yep. get caught up specifically on the closing two or three episodes, Yep, and then come back and listen to the rest of this cast. Yep. I don't know. There was elements, and I see where you're coming from. I know that there was a bit of a pacing decline somewhere in the early middle. Along with that pacing decline, I felt there was some really strong individual elements within that that were so strong that it kind of kept me in. So I didn't notice it as being having a dip as much as you have mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's weird. As strong as the finish was, I thought that first episode with the Marshall was so strong. It's hard so to say that, that the ending was better than the beginning. I just like that the ending is actually a beginning of what comes next. Yeah. I mean, so Timothy Oliphant is one of my all-time favorite actors of all time. I have loved him in Justified, which I think is probably one of the greatest series in the last five years. I thought that he and Drew Barrymore in Santa Clarita Diet were absolutely hysterical and that that show was amazing. And really, it was it was a story that didn't need more seasons, but I, me, Josh, needed more seasons of Timothy Oliphant and Drew Barrymore going back and forth where she is a zombie. Like that's, I needed more of that show, but the story didn't. And I get that, you know? And so, yeah, seeing Timothy Oliphant was, I loved it. Absolutely loved that episode. And you're right. I think that the season started really, really strongly between that episode and then episode 10, uh, you know, when they, when they, they pick up the, the, the frog lady character um, and they kind of have to go on this little delivery quest. That was fine where I think it kind of got, um, it got a little repetitive was by the time you hit episode five, when, we have now gone into, you know, we talked about this when we did our review of, of episode 14, which I think was the turning point of this season. Um, we talked about this, about how, you know, it spent four episodes basically telling the Mandalorian that his princess was in another castle. I am I am a big fan of, in, in, in art in general, 
with the rule of three. And that's, you know, you can do something like that once, you can repeat it, you can do it a third time. But by the time you do it that third time, you've got to figure out a way to get out of that storyline and start doing something different. And they went to the well four times. And the other thing that kind of, I think, reinforced that is that if you look at episodes 11, episodes 12, and episodes 13, just before the last season came out, when they put out their, hey, this is these are all the new Star Wars intellectual property things that are happening in the next few years. Each single one had an episode dedicated to that new property. You had your you had your your Ahsoka Tano show announced. You had your X Wing Fighter show. You had your Mandalorian. You know, you know all that sort of stuff. And so it's like you had your your Boba Fett show. Well, to be to be fair, Boba Fett was not announced. I, I did want to dig dig into there because your point is well taken. They went to the well a few times too many. However, I also wanted to kind of expand on that and then talk about the strong elements that they added while they were in the well. This is a pretty damn good scoop. <laughs> Not wrong. Not the wrong. The bucket that they used to draw that water was pretty impressive, right? Yeah, absolutely. So if you take a look, first of all, we've got uh, – and going going breezing right through uh, Cobb Vant, all of mm-hmm. I'm right with you. I thought – I think the opening scene before the credits – on the very first episode of Justified was one of the freaking <laughs> most amazing openings for a series I've ever seen. Oh, so um, good. And so good. the fact that you also had Walter Goggins, my fave from The Shield, in that, like, if, if you could see me right now, my hands are up. Because <laughs> that good. Like, I am on high that, that good, right? He's testifying. It's true. It's really true. <laughs> so I, I really thought he was amazing. I thought bringing that character that we've read about to life in that way was incredible. I thought it was a great episode. I thought the tease for Boba Fett at the very end of that was striking. And I so thought good. they were going to leave it a tease. Like I really did not I really expect did too. anything more than that out of this season. Going on to the, uh, the passenger, I thought uh, was a good episode and I loved the horror element. I loved oh. the way they set the tone in that second episode. Oh, God. A, a big difference between season one and season two was uh, general tone. Season one was all Western. Yep. While this started Western, it start, each episode kind of had a different tone in and of yep. itself. And I thought that was really cool. It almost made it a pseudo anthology series in that yep. regard. And I thought that was, again, a very impressive bucket from which to draw. Absolutely. And so just to go ahead and, and glom on that for just a second. So, Episode 10, The Passenger, I will bleep this out when I post this recording, but when those spiders started hatching, it scared the out of me. That was horrific. Absolutely horrific. And I know that somebody had pointed out on this when when we did our episode 14 uh, reveal a couple of weeks ago. Who directed episode 10? Peyton Reed. Who directed episode 16? Peyton Reed. So there is certainly a little bit of commonality in the way, if you think about the way that the white spiders kind of emerged in their relentless pursuit, and then look at that with the, with the dark troopers and how they were so relentless moving towards their target. That was just a really, really well done element. Oh yeah. Uh, the, his, his style came through. Uh, in in those episodes then going on to the heiress which what i loved about it was was let's be honest is book 10 uh book, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you know, i could i i could I, I if this mic wasn't so expensive i would throw it on the ground right now drop mic and be good but i'm not throwing <laughs> my mic katie sackhoff is amazing i and she and she I, 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 that character like I mean, oh my goodness yeah i oh. mean 
she was fantastic as the voice of the character in the Clone Wars. Yep. She was brilliant live action with this character. Brilliant. I loved her as Starbuck. And, and, and we'll probably talk about this at some point because we'll definitely talk BSG at some point in the future. I was not somebody who was initially very happy that they were going to alter Starbuck. That said, it took me about two and a half minutes with Katie Sackhoff on screen before I realized I was a stupid idiot. And this is my formal and official apology to Miss Sackhoff. I want you to know that uh, before I ever saw you act uh, uh, on film, uh, I, I didn't think you were going to do a great job. But two and a half seconds or so after you started, I knew how wrong I was. You're amazing. And we love what you did then. And we certainly love what you're doing now. I even thought you were the best part of the Bionic Woman revamp series, which <laughs> nobody will know probably uh, other than me and you're Josh. Going deep, yeah. But Miss Sackhoff, you were the reason I wanted that show to continue. I don't want to hang on that one episode too much because yep. we got a lot to cover. The characters that they introduced, the plot elements that were introduced or reintroduced, if you take Star Wars as a whole, were very good. And it made us say, oh, there's more here. And we didn't know exactly when we were going to get it, but we knew we were. And I thought that if you're going to go to the well, at least go to the well with some new elements. Moving on, you have Carl Weathers' episode, The Siege. Yep, The Siege, yeah. Which was great because, quite honestly, I just like seeing stormtroopers get shot. It it never gets (laughs) old for me. It sounds horrible. Uh, And I'm going to come back to that when we talk about another episode but it was fun to watch. Uh, it was it was it, yeah. it was a fun it was a fun watch. And cu- quite honestly, if you're gonna do an act, an action oriented episode, who better than Action Jackson to set you up? <laughs> <laughs> he teed it up perfectly well there. I just really I enjoyed the episode, even though narratively uh, it it, it kind of moved through some some territory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it also it reinforced those the damn midichlorians with baby Yoda's M count and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's probably not my favorite episode of this season, you know, and it, it, no, no slight against Carl Weathers. Like he's awesome as grief Karga. This episode was directed really well, but I just feel like this is an episode that we saw two or three times this season. I will go on record as understanding the narrative need for the M count but still being very not happy with the fact that it exists. Having in a high-tech society a means of determining who could have a given ability makes sense. Having that be a focus of effort makes sense. It doesn't, however, do anything other than diminish the power and magnificence of the magic. Of the force, yeah. The force was cool because we had no technical basis. Once we decided that we're going to talk about it, it lost something. And I don't know if it'll ever get it quite back. As long as everything remains in canon, I don't think it can. And that's sad to me. How I would have preferred they had done something like, well, we have this one race of being that not being force wielders themselves or able to be force wielders, they can sense force wielders. So if they had some dude that said, oh, he's super strong in the force that toddled around after the emperor or something like that, I would be absolutely happy. And then if they trotted out the same dude walking around behind Moff Gideon or somebody from that dude's species, I would be absolutely happy with that. 
So as we keep going and we're going through the rest of the season two here, we went from the siege, we drop into the Jedi, the Ahsoka mm. Tano. Ahsoka Tano's yeah. episode. Episode when the second lightsaber came up until she finished her fight. I was all in. Yep. All in. I loved the Kurosawa uh, influences on the episode. I yep. loved, you know, it was a movie that I think I've actually seen, but it was so damn well done. Uh, so well done. Yep. And, you know, we talked about casting just a minute ago. Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. Chef's kiss. I mean, yeah, absolutely fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. Uh, I think Rosario Dawson is one of genre fandoms hidden and not so hidden gems. Like, I don't think we talk enough about how good she is in all of the properties she's touched. Her being in the View Askew universe, um, which Kevin Smith, by the way, celebrates her in every way possible. I follow him <laughs> on Facebook um, and he's yeah. always talking about how, how awesome she is and all the things that she does whenever she does something new. Kudos to Kevin for always standing by his people, for bringing somebody as great as her into our common culture or our common lexicon. I thought she was amazing as the night nurse in the uh, Netflix Marvel series. I was sad to see her leave towards the end of her final season with Luke Cage. Was hoping yep. to see her back in Defenders. Missed her. I think it's something that the tail end of those seasons really missed was having her in the final parts of that. I don't know why she left. I'm not sure what, what happened there. I'm hoping that somehow or another the MCU brings her back in, in some fashion, even if it's just a cameo, I think they could only benefit from having her on film. You want to grab the tragedy? You want to talk? Oh about man. Episode 14. So we talked about episode 14 a lot. That was the tragedy. The, uh, the episode where we really saw Goff Midian at his, at his evilest and his most diabolical and his most devious and his, his most egotistical bad guy. Now, we we talked a lot about this episode, but I think, and this is a question that I think we're, we're going to get into, but absent the last episode of this season, if I think about what my favorite episode was this season, uh, this has got to be real high on that list. I'm actually, I'm going to continue thinking about this for the next five minutes before we actually get into that question. This is sort of my, where, where I'm feeling is my favorite episode of the season. Yeah, so if you draw a line in the sand as far as when a good season becomes great, that line gets drawn at this episode. Yep. And let me start by celebrating some of the history of some of the people involved in this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to start talking about Robert Rodriguez, who directed it. Yep. I'm also going to give a quick shout out to Fiona, one of our first audience members and listeners, friends of the show. She actually mentioned to us that this was directed by Robert Rodriguez because we actually recorded our last episode almost immediately after watching the episode. So it didn't even look at the credits. I was actually doing notes to, to do the episode. So, um, <laughs> it wasn't until after we finished recording and we're actually canning the episode. Fiona was like, you didn't even mention the fact that Robert Rodriguez was the director. I'm like, what? So no wonder. <laughs> and that's yeah. all. That's, that's what I can say. I mean, this guy, yep is so amazing desperado oh, el mariachi, um, el mariachi. One of my favorite movies of all time <laughs> uh, you know fantastic like epic Ugh. visual scenes that i will never forget 
he's just that good. His action sequences are yep. relentless. And that's exactly what we got with Boba yep. Fett. He found a way to make the guy relentless. And I loved that. Just there's nothing about his direction that's bad. Nope. Just nothing. And this is a guy who made brilliant, what should have been award-winning films on budgets less than common people spend for their cars. He did things with uh, budgets that nobody does. I think I spent more on Kickstarter this year than he spent on Desperado. You know, it is, it is one of those things where he's that good. And now you give him Disney money with star Wars uh, backing. And what does he do? He draws that line in the sand and he did such an amazing job with it. I'll talk about Moff Gideon in this way. Giancarlo Esposito, let me just say, I started watching him a long time ago in a little show by the name of Revolution, uh, and I mm. was amazed. He had such such depth. The way he could turn on the evil and turn on the sympathy and have them be a part of the same scene was something that was just amazing to me. Like, he's... He, in that show specifically, he was doing the types of things that I seek to emulate in my games. And then years later, when somebody finally convinced me to start watching Breaking Bad, which I didn't mm-hmm. start watching until probably a year after it was over, I started watching it. And once he was in it, I was like, oh, that's the guy from Revolution. This is awesome. yeah. good. And, and, and he acted Gus out Fring, of the box. Gus Fring was the pinnacle lawful evil character he had an exceptionally strict personal moral code and he was rotten to the core there was zero redeemable about things that gus fring did because even the good things that he did were done to serve his evil mastermind plan yeah i I cannot agree more about giancarlo esposito fabulous fabulous actor i i had to laugh uh this is something i read this was again just before the last episode came out but i think he was talking on twitter and his he has two young daughters and of course i mean they're watching him in star wars and everything and uh they're like oh you get to act with baby yoda like you'd better not hurt him and his response back was you kidding girls i'm gonna cut that little thing in half Yeah, it was awesome. And, and, and it was funny because reading it, you got that little curl of an evil smile that he <sighs> delivers so perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, Absolutely. that's what I want. Like, yeah. you want your bad guys to be that. And he is that. I think he shows yeah. it better in that final episode than he does in 14. And you certainly see the way his mind works better in the final episode than 14. Yep. But we got a great glimpse of him in 14. Yep. As we go on, we get on to The Believer. Josh and I have talked <laughs> at great length about our South Boston roots and what it was like being there. And anytime Bill Burr's on the screen, it calls me back to those days. And I immediately, like, this is a guy I know. This is a guy that I dealt with. This is a guy that I want to get to know. So even when he's playing a guy like Mayfield, who's on the surface, not the kind of person that you want to say, yeah, I I knew this cat. Yeah. Or I grew up with this cat. This was the episode that turned that on its head. I talked earlier about how great it was to kind of watch Stormtroopers get tossed around a bit. This is one of those episodes that turns that on a dime. Yeah. Not that Bill Burr's character was a stormtrooper, but when they talk, uh, when you see this episode and you see how the stormtroopers celebrate 
Mando and Bill Burr's character Mayfield when they come in and they, you know, they're getting pats on the backs and the slow clap as they roll into the motor pool and, and all of that, you yeah. really get a great sense of these are people. So think about that for just a second. Think about how when when Mando and and uh, and Bill Burr are in the vehicle transporting the the super volatile gas from point A to point B, and they're getting attacked by those pirates, right? And the way that it is built and the way that it is set up, it's like, oh, they 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 are getting they are getting attacked by people that are trying to do bad things to them because clearly Mandalorian is the hero. Clearly, Din Djarin is the hero of the of the show, and so clearly, if people are trying to blow up the, the the thing that he is in, they're the bad guys, right? And so it really flips that whole dichotomy on its head because when you think about it for just a second, what were they transporting? They were transporting highly volatile gas that was going to be used to just most likely to fuel Starkiller Station, and be used against the very people that were trying to stop this transport. Yeah. Mandalorian wasn't the good guy in that episode. He really wasn't. No. He had a mission, and they did end up doing some things that were good by the end of it, but the goal was not to be the good guy here. I think they did a great job of making sure that wasn't the official Rebels, right? But as we know from those of us who watched the show Rebels, Mm -hmm. uh, not all the Rebels were part of the organization. Some people just fought the Empire because it's what they did. Yeah. So they were actually talking about rebels. That yeah. could have just as easily been Luke and Leia. Yep. Or absolutely. Ezra Bridger. That's the depth that this episode went to. Yeah. And a director for everybody to, to watch, and I hope I'm going to say his name right, Rick Famuya Famuya Famuyawa. I hope I said that correctly. Please forgive Fam- me. I, didn't. I think it's Famuya. Famuya. There we go. Yeah. Rick Famuya. Yeah, is a director to watch. He's got some yep. other projects that I know are en route. He is somebody we're going to see a lot more. I'm not terribly familiar with his work directly, but again, Fiona uh, uh, had mentioned to me to pay attention to this guy. So yep. you know, we listen to our audience members, we listen yep. to our friends, we well, are paying attention because this episode was brilliant. Yeah, and not just that. So not only did he direct this episode, but he wrote it also. And he wrote the episode with Bill Burr and that criminal insurgent party in episode six back in season one. So he wrote and directed that one also. And so he's so far directed both episodes with Bill Burr's character, which I think is a really interesting parallelism. I think what they are doing with this show, and look, I have no, we don't have any kind of line to Favreau and Filoni. We don't, um, though. Call your boy. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I will say that it is very clear that they're moving into this realm where if we have certain director and write, slash writer teams working with certain types of stories or certain characters, they come out better because that writer, that lead writer, that lead, that director, they know that character. So they're going to naturally be truer to that character than another writer. Doesn't mean another writer is yeah. bad. Doesn't mean another director is bad but that allows for that cohesiveness to be there. And I really like that. It's Star Trek counterpart is if you have Jonathan Frakes direct your episode, you're going to have one of the better episodes of your season. Yep. Even though he's going to write himself the best part, that's okay. That's all right. That's all right. It's still going to be the best episode of your season. (laughs) It's just a fact. 
he's he's one of those guys that's that good. Watching Valen Hess speak through Bill Burr's eyes, you could just see, like, you know, we're from Southie. We've seen that look when you just want to slap that person across the table from you so badly, and it is taking every ounce of restraint to stop from doing it. And eventually, you lose that battle, right? Eventually, There's a certain point where it's like, and now I don't care what happens. Yep. <laughs> Yep. And and he clearly crossed that line. And uh, can we just also say that, again, this is where the direction was so amazing. Not only did they capture that so perfectly, just the few side glances at Din Djarin during those same scenes. Yep. It was clear that Din Djarin was watching what we were watching. Yeah. yeah His yeah. expressions mirrored my expressions. Yep. Like, oh, my God, this is about to happen. This and is about there's to go down. nothing I can do to stop it. We're going to have to shoot our way out of here. Exactly. Yep. So I I will say... And I, I know we want to talk about episode 16, and we will. <laughs> kind of like episode 14, there is one big thing that's kind of sticking in my craw about this particular episode. And it is when Din Djarin and, and Bill Hess's character make their way into the Imperial stronghold, and they have that terminal um, that the entire episode has been set up that only Bill Burr's care, only Mayfield could work, right? That they needed Mayfield to work the terminal because he's the one that would be able to find Moff Gideon's cruiser. And as soon as Mayfield sees Valen Hess, he says, oh, I can't go in there. He'll recognize me. The whole thing will go. And, and he wants to cut bait and run. Din Djarin says, no, no, it's okay. Let me take care of it. But of course, it's got facial recognition, right? And so Din Djarin's got to take off the helmet, which I think was a really nice parallel to what what Mayfield was saying earlier in the episode where it's like, yeah, everyone's got their hard lines until something requires those hard lines get crossed. And I thought that that was really nice. But the thing that sticks in my craw about this episode, how did Din Djarin's face get through security on an Imperial communications terminal? Either he's Imperial and we haven't figured that out yet, or the Empire has got the worst network security in the history of man because they don't require it's a face that they know. It just requires that the person you're, that, that's using the terminal has a face. So this is the part of the podcast where my job has officially <laughs> become to create an alternate view on the situation <laughs> and debate this issue and part ways amicably on the matter. This is that part of the show. We're not doing that part of the show. <laughs> you got nothing. You got nothing. I got, I got absolutely nothing because it bugged me too. Yeah, I'm like, absolutely. It's like, come on. So let me let me let me say this first. First of all, I thought what you were going to say is if Mayfield didn't need to be the one doing it, then why did you bring Mayfield? That's where I thought well, you were going. Well, right. That, that is but, the implication but, here. It's like, why did you bring I actually had a response for that. I believe there was a point where Mayfield told them only I could do it. And it was get me out of this prison. And maybe he was plotting a way he could break Frank later or do or, or what have you. But then when he realized this would screw the mission and probably end up with him dead, he's like, not, nah, you know, it's not that yeah. difficult. You, yeah, you could do it too. I don't know. I, that may or may not have ended up on a cutting room floor somewhere. I could envision that ha having been why. Sure. He was initially brought in, but then didn't end up having to actually do it. That's where I thought you were going. So I had my argument already queued up. I was ready to go. I had yeah. you, man. I had you. <laughs> you. You shifted sideways on me and I got absolutely nothing. Yeah. Not only do I not 
have an argument against it, I don't even disagree with you. I'm yeah. full on with you. I yeah. thought that was an issue to be as well. Like, yep. And I, I would even say like that that's even a bigger issue than letting Mayfield go at the end of the episode. Like everybody knows letting Mayfield go at the end of that episode is a mistake. You can't do that. Can't let the bad guy go. It's a lesson that Pedro Pascal did not learn when he was over in Martell. It is a lesson that he has not learned by episode 16, and he certainly didn't learn it in episode 15. See, I thought less of letting letting Mayfield go. I thought that that's going to be interesting. I think we're going to see something in later seasons where we're going to need to go back there for, for some reason or for some issue, and he's going to effectively have himself set up in some fashion and have some ability to help. I think that'll make a, great, uh, a yeah. nice future episode. I'm, I'm and I'm going to bet that it is in the series um, about the Rebel Fleet. That's just sort of where I feel that's going because Mayfield is a character that's got skills. He is former Imperial. He's the kind of person that the the New Republic brass is going to try to recruit to their side. With his sketchy history and the fact that he's dead, that could be challenging. But if yeah. he helps in a, in, in a big mission, who knows? I would love to see him uh, as long as they've got. Mr. Rick F. Uh, directing, I'd love to have Bill Burr be a recurring character in a, yet another show or a lead actor in that show. Yep. Um, either one would be absolutely okay with the kid. I think we should leave it there and start talking about episode 16 because yeah. we, we could go, obviously we can go on and on about this, but man, episode 16. Uh, so, oh, so good. Let's leave the last part <laughs> the last part. Let's talk about the things that were leading up to. I thought the assault was neat. Yep. I liked the fact that uh, we knew very little about the plan, so we're just watching it develop. Yep. I loved uh, some of the symmetry of the battle sequences, like how they had to go through that area where you've got that that uh, catwalk and the flying off and then sneaking, basically sneak attacking. Yeah. The, the stormtroopers on the bridge ah, was, so good. was awesome. Yep. I mean, they, it, it they was, took their free action to disengage. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just amazing stuff. Just the way the characters acted. Gina Carano's character not being able to get the uh, the weapon to work. And then oh, yeah. it was a battering ram and beating the heck out of guys. Uh, they just Everybody had their own unique yeah. style. Even when Din Djarin is walking by the room where the dark troopers are, dark troopers are held and the door starts to open as he's passing it. He's just like, no, 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 no. Yeah, like there were just mo there were just moments in this episode that were just legitimately funny, like yeah. in small snippets uh, uh, against this super serious backdrop. It was so reminiscent of the kind of humor that was in A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, a very dark film. But when there was humor, it was in the moment. It was character driven humor. It wasn't insert laugh line here. Yep. And if again, not to beat this dead horse, but who directed uh, episode 16? Peyton Reed. What else did he direct? Was episode two, The Passenger, seeing darling cute baby, you know, baby Yoda eating an entire generation of a rare species that Din Djarin is now sworn to protect. Like again, so that kind of dark humor comes through. So many good things. I mean, eye candy galore. Like I, I could not get enough, but yet there was weight. <sighs> it was almost... I would say there's so many cool things happening that it's my second viewing where I captured a lot of the things, a lot of the images yep. and imagery that, that I didn't catch because those sequences were that good. They just deserve a second and a third viewing. While this series as a whole is fantastic 
and definitely deserving of a second viewing of most of the episodes. There are not many episodes that I would watch a third time in rapid succession. This episode I've already seen three times. And this is where I think Gideon, Moff Gideon and Giancarlo Esposito, he became to me an iconic villain in Star Wars this episode because yeah. this is the one where he's fighting and I'm like, how does he lose that easily? Like, I expected it to be worse. And we didn't know why he lost that battle that easily right then and there. Uh, but we certainly found out moments later oh, yeah. when Din Djarin brings him to the bridge. And again, you know, I, I, I guess I, I alluded to this earlier, but Oberyn Martell didn't learn his lesson. You kill the bad guy where he stands once you've defeated him. You don't parade him around. They almost had a, they almost had a world of hurt. When they had, you know, what was it, 24, 28, 30, however many dark troopers sitting there just relentlessly punching the blast doors, just boom, yep. boom, boom. They were ready. Like, and, and, and what's interesting uh, is for a show that started on a Western tip, that moment felt like the Alamo. It felt oh, yeah. like this is where we die. Yep. We yep. got it. Been nice knowing y'all. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, the bad guy is cowering on the floor celebrating his victory because now yeah. Darksaber is in the hands of one of the good guys who <sighs> just set up the fact that he doesn't have to die yeah. and one of the two good guys has to. Oh, and that was so fabulous. And, when, oh, God. I mean, just the way that Din Djarin didn't understand and how Bo-Katan earlier in the episode had said, he's mine. I get to take him down. It sounded like a throwaway line at the beginning. It's like, oh, well, yeah, she just wants to be the... Because, I mean, how we see that trope all over the place. Like that, that happens all the time when people are like, no, he's mine. I want to take him. And then you realize why it would, then you realize that there is history behind that weapon that Din Djarin is not aware of. He has to deal with the fact that Moff Gideon is there. He has to defeat him. He has to be defeat him in combat and therefore win the dark saber. And, and, and that F's everything up. And what's beautiful, and this is where I want to take this back to the tabletop role-playing game. How much like an actual role-playing party was this 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 single episode? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This was a role-playing adventure, right? Your NPC is Boba Fett. He's out in Slave 1. He drops you off. He shoots a couple things, and he's off in the distance. He's off. Yep. He, he's not around for the main combat. This yep. is the player characters. Now he's off to his own series. <laughs> but because one player character, Bo-Katan, chose not to trust another player character, Din Djarin, Din Djarin, with the full story, the full background for those of you who just listened to part one of our background episode. Yep. Din Djarin didn't have enough information to make proper decisions and screwed the pooch. Yeah. It, it made the mistake that made this future situation very difficult because information wasn't shared correct actions couldn't be taken. So for those of you playing tabletop games, certainly if you're at my table or at Josh's table, please understand we care about your backstories and we add them to the game because situations like this cause and create high drama. Yep. Absolutely. And they make for the best games. The reason why this is so exciting is because that story, that single story all she had to do was say, when you find him, he's mine. Please understand, he's got a weapon that I have to have, and I can't have it unless I kill the person who has it. If she not, just not even that much. You just have to defeat him. Yeah. Yeah, or not even kill him, but I have to be the one to defeat him. 
If somebody else defeats him, I then have to defeat that person. If that story had been given to Din Djarin, other decisions might have been made. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that Din Djarin is in a tough spot. I'm not sure that he gets out of that situation without defeating, but at least, yeah, I don't know, man. At least then it's a calculated maneuver, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whoops, I defeated the guy, but didn't get the weapon. I don't know where it is, but here, this light cruiser is yours now, Bo-Katan. It's on here somewhere. Find the Darksaber that I didn't claim in combat. Something like that. Some spin on it. Well, I think let's Bo-Katan think that she gained some face. I, I think Dinjarin escaping was the answer. Like, fight to escape, not fight to win. Yeah, but he couldn't do that because of Grogu. Right, no, but if he fights in such a way where he's the one there, like, let's say he disarms him but doesn't press the attack, so now he's got him defeated, but gets around him in that maneuver, grabs the kid, and bails, he hasn't defeated him. Because he doesn't defeat him until after he points the weapon at his throat and the guy says, I surrender. So if he never creates that moment of surrender and just goes for the kid and boogies out, he yep. never defeated him. It's a tough situation. <laughs> it's a tough one. Yeah. But then we don't even have a moment to digest that because dark troopers are on their way. Yeah. They're pounding at the gates. Boom. 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 And then a lone X-Wing. Yeah. Who's not responding to communication. Any hails comes in. Smooth, slow. Like almost too slow. It's almost like just kind of gliding in there. Just going to do the thing. And I started to lean forward in my seat. Oh God! Yeah. What's going? Who's that? And then when I see the footsteps walking through the hall, I stood up from my chair. But I am now elbows on the armoire, face in the screen, because I am so in. As he's stalking the halls, and then the battle begins, and I'm like, or is about to begin. Like, I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, it's it's it's, and I couldn't say the words. Like, I didn't want to say the words, lest that all of a sudden make it not real. Yeah, that's how cool it was. Oh, so cool. I I I had a very similar situation because I was I was off on Friday, and so I ran some errands first thing in the morning, got back sat down at my desk at about eight o'clock in the morning, the very desk that I'm recording this at about eight o'clock in the morning, flipped it on, was watching it. And as the episode goes on, I'm, I'm yelling at the screen. I'm talking to the screen and you just see a flash of, of the, the figure in black's face. And I'm like, is that a, is that a beard? Wait, Obi-Wan's dead. It can't be. Wait, or is it? Could it be? Wait, is he not really dead? I'm thinking like, who is this? Who is it? And then they show the gloved hand, the single. And I was like, no, no, this isn't a Skywalker story. It is. It's a Skywalker story. (laughs) Like I said, I couldn't even say the words. I was all all, uh, like flush. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, this can't really be happening to me. And then as, as he goes and he starts taking him out, I was reminded of the closing scene of Rogue One 
Yep. And I saw this, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but this is not something I originally stated or wrote. It is something that I read somewhere and forgive me, I don't recall where, but it was so brilliantly stated. And it was along the lines of, and so the son becomes the father. And yeah. it was that good. <laughs> it was done for that purpose. It, it was, <sighs> it was one of those, if you're actually fighting a Jedi, dumb move. But if you're actually right. fighting a Jedi, you better come many, you better come hard, and you better hope to God you're not in a closed-in hallway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, just the 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 variety of ways that he dispatched those dark troopers, mm. the, uh, uh, the way he used a combination of lightsaber attacks and force attacks and, ugh, just... Oh, just, I mean, it was just, it was, it was everything. So good. It's so good. If you know, and anyone it, who's ever played the original Battlefronts game, oh, I'm not yes. one for one first person shooters, but I loved that game. I loved hanging out with Josh and other friends. We'd get together and we'd play Battlefront and be put up on a big, on a, a projected on a wall. Everybody else would be playing. I just would watch and like, yeah. And all of a sudden you're you're playing the rebels and you're walking around and all of a sudden, oh my god, there's Darth Vader and yeah. he's just wrecking a house and all the other things. It's like time to go a different direction. He's headed this way. He's headed this you way. Know, yeah, exactly. You know, um, there was something about that that yeah. I always thought was amazing. And and I thought that's exactly what you would think if you yeah. are watching that. And and yeah. and the best part was because it's not a typical Star Wars story, none of these people deal with Jedi. No, exactly. Everybody in that room is other than Moff Gideon has yeah. no idea what's happening right now. I mean, except for Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan in Clone Wars dealt with the Jedi a lot. Yeah. So, like, so she understands. But, yeah, yeah like... So the, I noticed she was helmeted, so we didn't see that from her. Yep, yep. We saw, well, the only and, face we saw was Giancarlo. Everybody, and, and then past. Pedro Pascal's head tilt, which means I don't know what the hell is going on here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and not just that, but I mean, remember too that the way that the Jedi left Mandalore uh, did not exactly inspire a lot of favorable feelings from the from the Mandalorians. And so I could see, I can imagine Bo-Katan. That's why Bo-Katan does not take off her helmet because she thinks the fight's coming. You know, like I know that they're getting a lot of crap for the way that they kind of digitally altered uh, Mark Hamill's face to, on the body to go ahead and de-age him and everything like that. I didn't even notice. I didn't even notice how bad it was, apparently how bad it was. Imagine on, on, on subsequent watchings, maybe it, it looks worse. That kind of stuff doesn't bother me. It really doesn't. Because well, like, I understand what they're trying to do. He's yep. one of the greatest voice actors of our time. Yeah. So they had his voice and good with that. Clearly, he was okay with the way they did it. Yeah. Um, could they have gotten another actor to do this, uh, motion capture it, whatever? Absolutely, they could have. But I know some behind-the-scenes stuff about The Mandalorian from watching different previews that we'll talk about in future episodes that while they are spending big, big boy money on this show, they are also... Uh, doing some things behind the scenes to make this a very economical process. Mm -hmm. um, they're developing new technologies specifically for this show and other future Star Wars shows to lower the cost. This is one of the few shows that was successfully able to film even during the lockdowns because they didn't have to go on location for the show because mm -hmm. of the technologies they're now using. They didn't need to build tremendously large sets because, again, of the new technologies. Test the crew, test the actors, and our space is solid. 
and they're filming. Until I learned about some of those technological advancements, I would not have even known they were done. I actually thought the show was filmed entirely on location. I'll save the nice details till later uh, when we when we do our, some of our future Star Wars stuff uh, as we go. We'll leave it at that. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you're doing. And I just want to say thank you all for joining us. As always, in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water. Thank you for listening. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and get all the updates that happen beyond the podcast. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at ttjourneys or send us an email at ttjourneys at gmail.com. Lastly, if you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts, we'd love you to leave a review, like, and subscribe. All the feedback we receive goes to making the show better, and we want to hear what you would like us to cover going forward. Thank you again for listening. And in the words of a fellow traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.